and welcome everybody to episode 65 of the Sports Gospel Podcast here on sportsgospel.com, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you may find us. We're happy to have you here with us. Darren and Andrew back on this week's show, a a rare back-to-back with Andrew as the co-host this week, but a lot going on in the basketball world and, and a good thing we recorded on Thursday this week instead of earlier in the week because it has been a huge Thursday in the sports world a lot to get to NBA free agency officially kicked off today so we want to get to some of the big news there some potentially seismic changes happening in college football but we're going to start with our NBA draft recap if you tuned in last week we did our NBA mock draft and kind of a mixed bag of results for us if we want to uh celebrate how good or bad we did if my numbers are correct i believe we got 25 of the players right uh a lot fewer than 25 were the right guy to the right team which you kind of expect more so in the nba than nfl because there's so many trades or this guy's drafted by the rockets and then traded to the timberwolves or whatever it may be so a lot more chaos happens in the nba drafts we did expect that but uh, I believe the only exactly perfect pick was you getting Shaden Sharp to the Blazers. So congrats to you for getting pick number seven, right? Right, oh, right guy, right team, right everything. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. Um, not like I had any insight knowledge. I think we did really well to get twenty five of the thirty first round guys correct between the two of us. If that's really what we got, was twenty five of the thirty. That's that's an incredible hit percentage for us there. And I think most of the guys we missed were in like the late 20s. I, I don't know that anybody saw Christian Braun or David Roddy going in the first round. Marjan Bochamp, I heard people talk about, and we just overlooked him. Uh, Jake Laravia, uh, power forward out of Wake Forest. A couple of those guys we missed. I think the biggest swing and a miss was my love for EJ Liddell out of Ohio State. He fell to the second round, but... For the most part, I think, yeah, like you said, a lot of the guys we expected going to the top, I was I was touting Paolo Bancaro. I didn't understand the hype of Chet or Jabari Smith over him. So I guess we just want to start at the top there, talk about best drafts, worst drafts. But uh, just looking at the top of the board here first, you had Paolo, then Chet to the Thunder, then Jabari Smith to the Rockets, kind of your big three. Yeah, that's uh, not how I thought things would go. Um, everything we were told right up until about an hour before the draft started suggested that we'd get some version of Jabari and Chet one and two, one and two and Paolo firmly at three. And then it flipped and Orlando didn't even bring in Paolo for a pre-draft visit. So it was a little surprising to see them kind of flip on a dime and choose Paolo. Um, but yeah, that, that all changed in the course of about like an hour leading up to the draft. And they really played that one tight and close to the vest. I just, I think Paolo is the most NBA ready offensively, but got a long ways to go defensively. And he kind of just is repeats some of the things that, uh, Franz Wagner does for Orlando on offense, albeit at maybe a high, a little bit higher level, but I think, uh, they can play together, but it was just a little bit of an interesting pick. I really thought that they would take the elite three and D potential that I saw with Jabari Smith over what uh, they're going to get in Paolo Bancaro. And for me, I think Jabari Smith is 
at his best. My, so again, of the top three, my pick, I, I love Paolo the entire way. I think he was a slam dunk number one. So that made sense to me. I think Jabari's two, and I think Chet is number three. To me, I think Chet is the biggest project, the biggest mystery. But I think Jabari Smith could fit into that. I get their different players, but a, a Jaron Jackson or a Miles Bridges, which, hey, those are great guys. Those are guys you want on your team if you're going to build a championship. But I don't think those are all-star, all-NBA caliber players. And I think that's where Jabari and Chet may be. To me, Paolo is the guy who's, you could be looking at a multi-time all-star from this draft. Well, you may not want Miles Bridges anymore after the recent no. news and recent events, but... Uh, we'll go Mikhail Bridges then. How's that? Yeah, how about that? How about that kind of guy? I think uh, Jabari's a little better than that. He's a step or two above that kind of a player, but I get what you're saying. And then we, we got to get to it. I, I don't know if this is good or bad news for you. I believe, is he the highest selected Hawkeye ever, if not close yeah, to he it? Is. He, he is. Murray going number four yeah. and a bit of a shocking move because we, we thought those bigs would be the top three guys. And then it was, well, of course, Jaden Ivey would be the fourth guy. And then everybody, mm. everybody kind of shocked with Keegan Murray being the guy that goes to the King. So I don't know if I was uh, necessarily shocked. I had heard that the Kings really did love Keegan Murray I believe I did say that there was real potential that Keegan could go there with the Kings pick. Um, I just thought maybe that Sacramento would trade down and try to pick something up and still get Keegan at five. Like maybe do some sort of a swap with Detroit or even down with Indiana um, because Indiana would want to move up for uh, Ivy or, or Sharp or, or something like that. So I'm a little bit perplexed that – uh Sacramento didn't explore their trade down options. They're getting a really good quality NBA NBA player. I think uh, they can slot Keegan in at that four spot right immediately in their starting lineup. They can play him next to Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes and Davion Mitchell. Those are five. That's five solid players right there. The problem is that the rest of the roster isn't as great as it should be. Um, a little bit of a surprise, but I think that Keegan's a very NBA ready player and will fit in nicely. I think the fit makes sense. Um, but I'm a little perplexed that Sacramento didn't explore some trade possibilities there. It's just, do you really want your guy stuck on the Kings though? Cause unless something is drastically changing is it Mike Brown, I believe is the coach now, unless he does something radically different. I just, it's just sort of well, are the Kings always going to be the Kings. Yeah, I would say that Mike Brown is a little bit of a step up from what they've had in the past 10 years or so. Um, he's not great. He's not like the best coach of all time or anything, but I would say he's certainly a coach that knows how to coach a team to win. He's been in the Warriors system. I don't know if he'll bring some of that Warriors brand of basketball to the Sacramento Kings. And I don't even know if really Sacramento has the roster for it at this time, but maybe we'll have to see what they do in the off season, which we can talk about later. They did just sign Malik Monk, who I think has some real six man scoring Jordan Clarkson type potential to him. Um, but that's not a move that like puts you in a playoff contending or a even anywhere close to a championship contending. So the Kings got a lot of moves to make here um, and we'll see what they do. But I think, I do believe that they have the start of something. I just don't think it's a finished product yet. 
Well, the team that picked after after them is the one that seems to be people are talking about as the big winner of the drafts, and I think I would agree with that. Uh, if we want to get into best overall drafts here, I think that the Detroit Pistons crushed it, having Jaden Ivey fall into their lap. I would not be shocked to see him become the leading scorer from this class. He and Paolo were my two favorite players in the whole draft. I knew he wasn't going to go ahead of the big guys, but I think Jaden Ivey is fantastic. He's been around the game. He knows the game, uh, the story about his mom. It sounds like a guy who just plays with passion and heart has all the intangibles that you want and then can get it done on the floor. So I'm a huge Jaden Ivey fan. So starting it there and then some of the other moves they made to really bolster this roster, it sounds like the Pistons, they're young and developing and they're going to build around Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham. But the, the big winner from the way most people are talking was the Pistons. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've heard too. Um, I'm a little bit cooler on Jaden Ivy. I watched a lot of Big Ten basketball. I thought he was just kind of the yeah, the high end athleticism is there. Um, I think he takes some questionable shots at certain times. Defensively, I feel like he should be a lot better than what he is. I'm not. I'm not saying Jaden Ivy's a bust, but I, I'm not saying Ooh. that he's the superstar that we think. Uh, people believe that he will become. I do like the trade for Jalen Duran, and um, we'll get to whatever the heck the Knicks are doing. <laughs> and also the Hornets. Uh, I guess I didn't really understand those teams' drafts or their strategy or lack thereof with the New York Knicks. But um, yeah, I really do like the addition of Jalen Duran. I think it's a cheap way of getting a qual- high quality center in there and not spending the money on Aiden. So I like that pick. Uh, I just don't believe that Jaden Ivy is the, is the superstar that we, uh, that I've heard some people believe him to be. And I would also, I talked about the magic. I do think they had a great draft with getting Paolo first overall and the Pistons. And then the other team that I like that I think had a good draft that kind of it feels like nobody's talking about is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I thought they did a nice job getting O'Shea Abaji, getting that. Yes, he's old by basketball standards. He's, what, 22, 23 heading into the NBA. Guy who stuck around, really developed. He's built like a brick wall, and he's only a shooting guard. So a very, very big shooting guard wing player for them. I don't think he's going to be a high-volume scorer or anything in the NBA. I think he's a good role player on a developing team. So I think they're going to be able to do some great things if they're able to keep him around. Uh, and then they got yeah. the other, Mo- the other, they got the other Mobley brother. So for whatever that adds to your locker room chemistry, and I, we saw how great Evan Mobley was. Isaiah Mobley got drafted this year, uh, not expected to be as good as his brother, but just a nice other piece for them. And it felt like the Cavaliers did a really nice job adding pieces to their team. Yeah, I like I like Abaji. Um, I think he'll be a good three and D wing that they can play, uh, and he'll be a part of the rotation there. In Cleveland, Isaiah Mobley, I don't know. He could, it could be wild. He could actually end up backing up his brother in a way. Although Cleveland does have already a lot of big men on the roster. But if you need another one, I mean, Isaiah Mobley is a decent player. I don't think he's going to be the special talent that Evan is by any stretch of the imagination. But could you see him coming in and being a guy that plays 10, 15 minutes a game? Yeah. That's a likely scenario for, uh, Isaiah Mobley. I think the other team um, that I've really heard that hit it big, and I would tend to agree with this, is uh, OKC. They got Chet Holmgren, who 
which whatever you think about Chet, fine. There's a there's a wide range of outcomes with Chet Holmgren. But they also got guys like Uzman Zhang, Jalen Williams, the other Jalen Williams. Um, I really like all the prospects that OKC got on draft night. And I think there's high potential with each and every one of them. And so I think OKC just got a lot of high potential guys. And that seems to be what they're doing now is they're just taking the guys that are, that are kind of the swing for the fences picks. Like, Oh, if these guys realize their potential, we're going to have a heck of a team in two, three years. Um, they did that last year with Giddy and Giddy showed signs. They did that with Poku. He's shown signs SGA. We kind of know who SGA is, but I think Chet's going to bring some immediate defensive stuff. And then Jalen Williams is kind of just a, a guy that you can throw out there. He can, he's really good as like a passer, a playmaker. He can shoot a little bit. Um, Jang, I know is, is the one that's maybe more of a project, but he's got some intangibles there. Could be a nice three and D wing player on down the line. And then Jalen Williams is like a guy that I could see being a backup big man that just sticks around in the league for 10 years. Um, if he gets any sort of a jump shot, I, I see Jalen Williams power forward being like a rotational player for OKC for a long time for the next 10 years or so. So they really hit on all their picks, I think. So good draft for OKC. And just before we get to some of the lesser drafts or one team in particular, a couple more that I liked. The Houston Rockets, it seems like they're going for this hyper-athletic team. You've already got Jalen Green there. They get Jabari Smith, and they traded for Tari Eason. So whatever the Rockets may or may not be, at least it feels like they're just going to be a bunch of athletic brutes for a while running people over. So probably some exciting basketball taking place in Houston. And then a team that's underrated that is clearly in rebuild mode, especially what's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours with free agency, is the San Antonio Spurs. They got Jeremy Sohan, whose name I learned how to pronounce since last week. Talked about him flirting with the top 10. The Spurs got him with number nine. They had a Blake Wesley, who everybody seemed to have fallen in love with here in the lead up to the draft. Uh, just kind of a floor general, very intelligent guard, which they're now going to need since they traded away Deontay Murray. They got what I think is considered a steal on Kennedy Chandler, another point guard in the second round. And they got Malachi Branham. And if I recall, you were a fan of Blake Wesley, Kennedy Chandler and Malachi Branham last week. So the Spurs coming away with four players from this draft and a team that's clearly looking to go young and rebuild, especially considering they just traded away their best player for a bunch of picks. They did trade Chandler to Memphis, but Ah. those other three guys that I mentioned, uh, well, I was a little bit shocked as I was watching the draft that Ben Matherin went number six. I went, all right, that, that shakes up the draft board a little bit here. I thought Sharp would land number six. Um, and then he went number seven. And then I thought Pelicans would jump on Dyson Daniels. And then at number nine, I was, I was not expecting Sohan at number nine. That's really where I thought Duran would go. Um, so. I was a little bit shocked to see Sohan at nine, but I also said right before the pick went off, um, the, you know, the most Spurs player left on the board is Jeremy Sohan. And so I, yeah, I kind of like the, um, the picks there, but for, uh, the Spurs, Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham, especially, I feel like those two picks are just, they're very Spurs. So, I didn't have, yeah, I didn't, you're, you're right. 
I didn't realize that he is also technically Polish. He's Polish American. So in his nationality, they list him as Poland. So got to check that international box for the Spurs. All right, let's uh, maybe move on to the teams who didn't do so well. Do you mean Um, the New York Knicks? Yeah, and I, you know, if if you look, zoom out, the traits that the Knicks made make sense. I think the reason why everybody's panning the Knicks draft is because they haven't shown that they're taking that next step as a team towards contending. Like we had that, not this past year, but the year before where we had like the Julius Randle Renaissance and RJ Barrett and oh man, the Knicks are the four seed. And is this like the resurgence of the New York Knicks? And then we had this past year where they took a big step back. And so the fan base is just clamoring for them to do anything. And they go, all right, we've got a, we've got a lottery pick here's our chance to nail this lottery pick and really take the team to the next level. And they trade it away and make other subsequent trades to acquire more first round picks in the future, which if you're looking at the trades themselves, you're getting good value in those trades, but you're not really doing anything to help out your team as it's currently constructed. And who knows what those future first could turn into or where they could land, what pick you could be grabbing at, you know, maybe those those picks are end of first round kind of picks. Then where does that leave you? Um, that that's why I think people are really down on what the Knicks did on draft night. I'm looking at just next year's because I know NBA draft picks get there's people trading like picks for 2029 already. But looking at the Knicks, it looks like if I'm reading this correctly, depending on where the other teams land, they could have one, two, three, four in the first round next year. Granted, that's depending on how the Mavericks, Pistons, and Wizards all end up with their season, but it's them and the Thunder, and it's the, this is trying to do complicated trigonometry in my head for trying to figure out who's going to get what with all these protected picks and guarantees. and So between, between the Wizards, the Thunder, and the Knicks, there's a lot of draft picks concentrated in a small area. Yeah, it, and that's true, and, and I like the building of future assets, but then now, and we can kind of talk about this in free agency, but it's like, they've really kind of cleared the books to go land Jalen Brunson. How does that move the needle? Jalen Brunson, nice player, but Knicks fans, I think are longing for a superstar and we're not sure if we have it on the current Knicks roster. Is that RJ Barrett? Is he going to take that next step and become a superstar? It's not Randall. Um, so I think Knicks fans are wondering kind of what the direction is, what the plan is. It seems like the Knicks are a team without a direction, without a plan. And so that's the frustration. Any other draft topics you want to get to? I do have a little draft-related game here, but nothing about the current this year's draft. Um. No, no, nothing real else really um, shocking. I will say the one thing, um, the Warriors taking Patrick Baldwin Jr., not something I expected, but also they've kind of done this multiple years now where they've taken guys who maybe didn't have a great college year um, and or a great G League year in the case of Kaminga, 
and have just said, well, we trust the pedigree. Um, we're going to take a guy that was a highly rated prospect in high school. Maybe he didn't have the best year with the G League in Ignite or the best year in college. His one year in college looked pretty bad like it did for Baldwin. But we're just going to take the pedigree of a guy who was like a top 10 recruit and his stock has kind of fallen. And we're just going to say that our our system is good enough to give that player every chance to succeed. Um, so with like Kaminga, that's worked out beautifully. Um, a guy like Nico Mannion that they took a few years back, it didn't work out. But it's interesting kind of the strategies that teams employ. Some some teams will go for like the guys that have the pedigree and just put it all on the pedigree. And the Warriors seem to be one of those teams. Other teams like the guys who are having great college years and they go for the guys who hit, who produced. And that makes sense too, but it's worked out to varying degrees of success. So something I observed that I wanted to point out. Well, the Warriors may be in line to bring the band back together? Question mark. Um, for a, for a certain other so. player we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, we can get to it in a minute, but yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I wanted to play a little uh, NBA draft-related game for you here. And I eliminated the last two drafts, so I figure those are too soon to really have a strong opinion. But I want to go the drafts from 2019 to 2013. Who was the first pick and who should have been the first pick? Mm. So 2019 draft off the top of your head, do you know who was number one? Was that... The Zion year? 2019 was the Zion year. Zion went first overall to the Pelicans. And using a value over replacement, value over replacement player is the metric I'm going. So the VORP ranking, you have John Morant, number one, Brandon Clark, two, Zion, three, Cam Johnson, four, and Matisse Thibault. Those are your top five. Some other players from this class we'd like to consider, RJ Barrett, Darius Garland, Tyler Hero, Kobe White, Jordan Poole. So who should have been number one? Are you sticking with Zion or should we have gone with one of these other guys as it stands today? As it stands today, I mean, I think hindsight being 2020, we would uh, we would say John ja Morant over Zion. Um, but that really wasn't the argument at the time. I think when fully healthy, it's got to be Zion. He's basically played one year's worth of games. Compare yeah. that to, uh, let's see. So Grant Williams, the current Boston Celtic, has played 209 games, which is the most of anybody. But R.J. Barrett, Matisse Teibel, uh, Kobe White, those guys have all played just under 200. So those guys have played basically 200 games to Zion's one season's worth over three years. Yeah, I think because simply because of that factor, we'd have to change this to John Morant. And he's played 187 games. So at, at the time, though, pre-draft, though, I would say obviously Zion was the right pick. Yeah, he felt like the most slam dunk in these last couple of years. Where this year, obviously, we saw there was three guys in conversation, and we'll get to some of these other ones. There was a lot of conversation about who should be number one, but yeah, everybody said you know Jaw's a good fun story, but Zion for sure. Yeah, 2018. I'm I'm not sure who uh, the number one was there. All right, 2018, 
the the last great young big I would say before this year, DeAndre Ayton went first overall. Oh. Followed by Marvin Bagley, Luca, Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey Young, and Mobamba. Oh, so, this is this. easily Luca Doncic should have been number one. I think yep. there was maybe a little bit of a scare factor of uh, we really don't know what this guy has with the comp level of competition. Aiton looked like a can't miss prospect. The Bagley thing, man, that that really set Sacramento back. We just talked about Sacramento. See? Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. So I, I really think Luca should have been number one. Uh, at very worst, number two. In the But, yeah, I absolutely agree. You should have been two at the worst. And I would... I would probably contend Trey Young deserves to be part of that conversation as well. I don't think it's as much of a guarantee. I think between Trey and Luca, you could fight for it. But if you think what DeAndre Ayton has meant for the Suns, they don't get to the finals without him. They have, but they would not be the consistent team they are without him. They had Devin Booker. They didn't need one of these guards to come fill it up. They needed that big body. Yes, Chris Paul came in later, but you've already got Devin Booker. You needed some help inside, and they did it. It was it was a smart move for them at the time. It makes sense for what your team looked like. Yeah. Um, but I'm a bigger fan of, you know, just take the best player and don't worry about the fit. If you're up that high, you don't worry about the fit. You just kind of take the best player available. So, and that's, to me, that was Luca all the way through. So quick side note, this feels like a really good draft to get your workman like guys. The, the guys are going to stick in the league and maybe just that cut below like superstar status. You had both the bridges is, is. Colin Sexton, Jalen Brunson, Kevin Herter, uh, Gary Trent Jr., Wendell Carter Jr., Jaron Jackson Jr., Mitchell Robinson, Dante DiVincenzo. A lot of guys who are going to stick in the league for a long time and maybe not a whole lot of breakout game-changing stars like Luka and Aiton and Trey Young, but just a great depth. Robert Williams with the Celtics, a great draft for guys who are going to fill out your roster and be around for a long time. Yeah, good point. All right, 2017. This is a this is a this is an interesting one. Maybe not who should have been first, but the actual draft itself is interesting. Uh, was this uh, the Markel Fultz here? This was the Markel Fultz here. Markel yeah, the Markel Fultz, Tatum. So Fultz went one, Tatum went three. Do you know who went between them? Was that uh, Embiid? It was Lonzo Ball. Lonzo, yeah, that's then it. You had Josh Jackson to the Suns and De'Aaron Fox to round out your top five. So, a uh, bit of a and they, it, as you go down, a bit of a, a a busty, dare I say, draft. But there's some studs in here. They were just kind of fewer, you know, further down the board. So, looking at kind of your top candidates here, I'd say you have Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo. I'll throw in there. So those are probably your top guys, unless you would, uh, yeah, I would say Tatum, Mitchell, Autobio are your top three. Then you get to guys like Jared Allen, John Collins, Darren Fox, and Lonzo. Yeah, uh, Josh Jackson. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Jason Tatum, I think, should have been number one here this year. Which I remember uh, that conversation, and unless it was a need thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I really think the Celtics – we're going to take Tatum at number one. And then Philly kind of made an offer for number one because they liked Fultz and you know, the sick, the Celtics were able to trade down and get some assets and then take Tatum. And that also helped them land uh, Jalen Brown as well. So that was a really, it was really good for the, 
the Celtics, I think. And I really think the conversation should have been between Tatum and Lonzo just based off of the way that year went. Um, and I think Lonzo's at least made a decent career. He hasn't been the superstar that maybe we all thought he would be. Darren Fox has been a decent player as well. And Bam, obviously all-star. Mitchell, all-star. Um, but those guys weren't really anywhere near the conversation of number one, like Tatum was and probably should have been. Yeah, he's, I think it was definitely, definitely should have been Jason Tatum, no matter what the Sixers already had in their hands. All right. Yeah, and there was there was real concern about Fultz pre-draft to where it was like, what are you doing taking a chance on this guy? There were some real concerns about Fultz with his college year. So, Understandably so. All right, 2016. Do you know your number one pick? I I am not sure. No, I really don't. Ben Simmons went number one to the oh, Sixers because the Sixers drafted point guards first overall in back-to-back years. And this one is interesting. I, I have no idea. So you've got, again, going with uh, your VORP stars, Ben Simmons is still highest in value over replacement, shockingly. And I think he's uh, top in win shares. Uh, top three in win shares. So you have Simmons, you have Pascal Siakam, DeMontis Sabonis, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, Deontay Murray, Buddy Heald, Jamal Murray, and Brandon Ingram. So while we, while we pick on Ben Simmons, is there anybody in that crop you're taking above him? Because Buddy Heald has the most minutes and points of anybody in this draft. So the conversation this year was really Simmons-Ingram, right? I, I remember the back and forth here was... Yeah. Simmons Ingram, one, two, how do you go? Um, hmm. Number four was Dragon Bender. Oh, I was actually pretty high on him. So, pretty, so the, son, the Suns went in top, they had top five picks back to back years. They went, or top three back to back years. They went Bender, Josh Jackson, and DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. And we all thought they were building something based off that. And they had Booker as well. Um, Man, uh, gosh, I think just based off the guys that you're giving me, Ingram, I think probably should have been number one. Interesting. All right. I like it. I mean, I, I'm a sucker for DeMontis Sabonis, but yeah, that's, this is this one's really all across the board. You'd say if Jamal Murray was healthy, that may be different. Or Yeah. Like, yeah, like Jakob Pearl has great stats, but nobody's taking Jakob Pearl first overall. No, I think... I'm saying Ingram because he was in the conversation or near the conversation to be the number one pick. And out of the guys who were kind of in that conversation pre-draft, he's had the best career. So I would, I would say if we're looking at it from hindsight, Ingram, number one. That's fair. And we'll do one more quick here. Uh, 2015, your first overall pick was? Is this Jaleel Okafor? It's his draft, but he went number three. Uh, it is his draft. Um, I believe the first two picks are now on a team together. Oh, gosh. Uh, huh. Towns? Is this a Towns year? This is the cat draft, followed by D'Angelo Russell. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, you, you gave it to me by saying they're now on a team together. So Towns, Russell, 
Okafor, top three. Who else did we have this year? Uh, you got Porzingis. Okay. He went fourth. Uh, yeah. So going going by points, Devin Booker one, Carl Anthony two, D'Angelo Russell three, Porzingis four, Terry Rozier five. Uh, you had Miles Turner, Bobby Portis, Frank Kaminsky. Montrez Harrell was in this draft. So from, from what I'm looking at here, this is a Devin Booker versus Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, if you want to be bold and pick somebody else. Didn't, but Didn't Booker go 13th? 13th to the Suns. So as long as the Suns are picking outside the top five, they do all right. Once they get in that top five, it's another story. Right. So I would easily say Booker here. But again, I'm, I'm going back to the he wasn't really in the conversation to be the number one pick. So he was always going to kind of fall outside of that top five range. Um, I think this is the one where it was, it got where it was right. Um, so just based off of what the pre-draft conversation was with where these guys' careers ended up, I would say Towns makes sense as the number one pick. Yeah. I'm not saying he's the best player because that's definitely Booker, but. Um, with the pre-draft conversation and where they are now, Towns makes sense as the number one pick, I think. Yeah, that's, I get that argument. Man, if the Lakers had this to do over again and they could get Devin Booker over D'Angelo Russell, be a whole different Laker situation. It, right it would be. It would be. But they could also could have gone easily gone Jaleel Okafor. I was, <laughs> I was so convinced he was going to be amazing. I loved Jaleel, Jaleel Okafor coming out of Duke. I did too, but I also was like, oh, this league is changing. So that was right about when the Warriors kind of happened for the first time. 2015 Warriors was a really good team um, that won the championship, I believe. And so the, the league just changed on Jaleel. So, yeah, he had all the intangibles, but the league kind of changed and he didn't have a three-point shot, and that's why he didn't latch on. Well, he might still be bouncing around somewhere, but all right. So we're going to move on here to NBA free agency. And again, Jill for could pop up in this. And as we're recording, this is, is the first day. So we're getting a lot of reports about signings. I don't know how much is officially inked yet, but a lot of reports on the big money deals. And the story of the day to probably the surprise of nobody, Kevin Durant wants out of the nets, uh, kind of always wants out of somewhere, but what say you, baseball, baseball, what sport are we talking about? Basketball, super fan, where do you see Kevin Durant playing basketball next year? The thing is, I, I don't know. And you say to the surprise of no one, but this thing is flipped in so much in 24 hours because, first of all, it was Kyrie is going to opt out and go to the Lakers or the Clippers or somewhere else. And that's going to prompt KD to want to trade. Well, then Kyrie opts back in and says, you know, I got to stay loyal to my guy, KD. We got to do this together. And then not even 12 hours later, we get the news that KD has requested a trade out of Brooklyn. And then 10 minutes after that, it's okay. KD wants out. Now Kyrie wants out too. And then 15 minutes after that, it's, oh, Katie and Kyrie want to get traded together as a package deal. So this thing has just flipped in so many different directions. 
And now you've got reports of like AD and Russell Westbrook for KD and Kyrie floating around out there. Um, KD to Boston rumors, KD to Miami or Phoenix, one of those teams. But it's really interesting because the team that has the most assets that like the Nets could want and it's rumored that the Nets want one of the biggest trade packages in NBA history for Kevin Durant um, is OKC. It's so, but I don't think that's happening. I don't know if KD would really want that or sign off on that. So I really don't know what the rumor, like there's been many, many rumors and I really can't give you an actual destination. I think there's several um, I could see the Phoenix thing. Um, although I'm not sure what they would require of Phoenix. Is it something like an eight and sign and trade with maybe Mikhail Bridges and some f- future firsts as well? Is that enough to land you, Kevin Durant? Just Kevin Durant. I mean, you aren't going for Kyrie when you've got Chris Paul. And then what are you going to do with Kyrie? Are you going to ship? a Kyrie for Westbrook deal. There's just so many different possibilities and just wild. And the Sixers, the Sixers want KD and Bita said, Hey, front office, you need to make every effort to bring KD to Philadelphia. Harden opted out of his $47 million deal. And has basically said like, he's willing to take less money if it means building a championship roster. So we'll see if uh, the Sixers can maybe make a run here. If KD is even interested in that, it, I really don't know. I don't have any sort of a pulse or a feel for where this, uh, this might go. And the, the part that I don't understand is these two, why would they want to stay together? Did, didn't they have a chance to do that with the nets and it clearly didn't work. Plus, who's going to have to, the money to take that on? Durant is going to be owed $40 million. He's eventually going to get to $50 million if he doesn't get his contract restructured. So who has the money to take on two $40 million per year guys? You look at the teams with the most money right now, San Antonio, Detroit, Orlando, Washington. And KD sounded like he's not interested in going back to his hometown in D.C. Orlando and Detroit, you've built these nice young cores. The Spurs, I mean – is this why the Spurs are building up all these draft picks? They're going to make a run. I, I can't, I don't know. Maybe there is some way where pop and KD and Kyrie make sense together. Maybe he is the kind of coach that those guys would listen to and respect, but I can't see any of these teams with the money available being the Spurs are the ones and they have the most money, I believe for next year. They seem to be the one that would have make the most sense just because Popovich is there, but both of them sticking together makes us a lot harder deal. I think I would rather have KD and Kyrie can figure out his own thing. Yeah. And I do think that's probably the way that it'll happen. Um, Unless, you know, the luxury tax space, if we're looking at luxury tax space, okay. c has got 40 million. They could send a package um, around like, SGA and a bunch of future firsts, which they own a bunch. Uh, we just talked about it. They could send that kind of a package for KD and Kyrie if they wanted to. 
I don't know if uh, KD and Kyrie are interested in that. I'm not sure, but KD, Kyrie, Chet, and Josh Giddy is that a decent roster? I mean, it is. Um, is it a championship roster? I think that's really what KD wants here is the ability to win a championship. There's also like Milwaukee. Is Milwaukee maybe willing to move off of like Middleton? Please no. Um, what? Please no. Yeah, you don't want KD and Giannis together, do you? It just uh, it, it feels like Milwaukee is such a culture driven team, and they've got all their guys lined up. Why would you want to bring in? Yeah, that headaches and difficulty. Really... You know, blow blow up the Nets. Nobody cares about the Nets. The Bucks have something going. That's what also concerns me about the Suns, but they may be blowing it up anyway. Yeah. It... You're right. It doesn't make sense from the angle of we have a culture here in Milwaukee. It's a well-established culture. It's a winning one. We know that we can win a championship with Giannis Middleton and Holiday. We don't actually need KD to get it done. I'm not saying I'm for it. I'm saying it's been rumored. It's out there. Um, and it's, you know, about half the league is in rumors of Kevin Durant trades now because of the news today. But like so- the, the the Bucks, the Grizzlies, the Suns. There's a team I'm going to get to here in a minute. The, these, uh, I just I worry about guys like this coming in, and I I really don't think KD to Oklahoma City is the craziest idea. I just cannot see Kyrie being happy in Oklahoma City. He's always struck me as a guy who needs to be in that top end market: a New York, an LA, a Miami, a Chicago, a Boston. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I really think they will end up getting separated. Um, I think it'd just be kind of weird for Katie to end up back in OKC, but maybe that is what he wants. Um, and then I think if that happens, I really think this way to the Lakers to be back with LeBron. Um, I don't know if having Kyrie, I, I mean, getting basketball Kyrie is better than basketball Westbrook at this current point in time. I think that is, but also there's certain off the court headaches that come with Kyrie that you don't have with Westbrook, even though you might get better, better play on the offensive end, at least out of Kyrie. Didn't, uh, don't, yeah. don't LeBron and Kyrie have a bit in not the, there some heat there between the two of them. I mean, that's always kind of been, that's kind of been the rumor. Um, but now the rumors kind of seem to be like, oh, Kyrie would really welcome the idea idea of being back with LeBron. Um, that's, uh, I don't know. Again, like I said, this news is just kind of dropped, and I don't really have any sort of a, a beat on where things are going. Well, there's – I've kind of narrowed it down to four teams, and I was trying to research some of this before the show, and – as as much as fans as we like to do kind of fantasy booking where we just think, oh, it's a simple trade. I was reading about all these different complications and all these clauses and things that are in NBA contracts and all pro sports contracts to make things work and all these different rules. So there's all these things to consider that we as fans can't really get our heads around and all the different little nuances in the contracts. So that makes one of my ideas not sound feasible, but I wrote down four teams that I thought made sense for KD. 
Uh, one was the Bulls, and I was reading something earlier on why the Bulls are a long shot. They would have to really move a lot to make it work and obviously not re-sign Zach Levine, who's kind of the top free agent out there right now. So the Bulls, while I think it makes sense to me to, for KD to go there, I'm told it's not a great idea, but the other three seem to kind of be consensus. We talked about the Suns a little bit, and then the Heat and the Knicks. The Knicks, we'll have to see how the Jalen Brunson deal shakes up their money, but uh, they just paid him a whole bunch. I need to see what they're at with how much money they have left. But I think the the big market, staying in the Northeast, being in the East, I think that would be attractive. And then the Heat, that gets back to that chemistry thing. It feels like they've kind of built this team. Jimmy Butler and Durant together feels like a weird fit for me. And I think you would probably have to give up some combination of Hero, Robinson, Adebayo, those guys. And I would just... I'd be very nervous about when you're the Heat and you're you're this close, you could very easily win the East with a guy like Durant, but how many pieces do you have to give up? But to me, I, I see it coming down to the Suns, the Heat, the Knicks, and the Bulls. And I, again, do, do the Nets really care about dealing? I feel like this isn't as much of a deal in the NBA, but do you want to send him out West so he's out of your hair? Or you're the Nets, we're going to be terrible. We don't care about the Heat or the Knicks for the next couple of years. Go, The Heat can go contend. We're not going to be contending. We're going to build for well, the future. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think the Nets are willing to trade Kevin Durant, but they want their future to be set up for them with, like, first-round picks. Well, the team well most well-positioned to do that is OKC with all the picks that they've got. Um, Miami, like the culture fit, but also Miami is in Donovan Mitchell trade rumors which it's, it really seems like Donovan Mitchell could be out of Utah this summer as well. I keep forgetting um, that the Jazz are blowing everything up. I always forget that little pieces out there. Yeah, and I really think it's more likely that Miami ends up trading for Donovan Mitchell than Kevin Durant. Um, and I, th- I really think Phoenix is a good destination, but I really truly believe – and I'm not sure how because the Lakers don't have a lot of assets outside of AD, and I guess you can throw Russ in there and a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker, which they'd have probably have to throw in, but they don't have first-round picks as a result of the Anthony Davis trade. They traded all those away to New Orleans. Um, does New Orleans maybe t- make a run at Kevin Durant? No. I mean, they have, they have first-round picks. Do they blow up that nucleus to – bring in Kevin Durant next to like CJ McCollum and possibly a healthy Zion. Do they give up a guy like Brandon Ingram to make it work? Uh, maybe uh, it at least be intriguing to put um, Kevin Durant next to CJ McCollum and Zion Williamson and say, here we go. Maybe here's our chance to, contend i don't know if kd would sign off on that so i think there's just a nuclear option where ad and russ get traded to the nets for kd and Kyrie, and that'd be a really interesting setup for next season and of those four kd is the one i would really i'd want the most i i've never been the biggest ad fan and with the injuries piling up it just they keep calling him untradeable, but you say somebody's untradeable until Kevin Durant becomes available. It's I just yeah, I don't know. Absolutely, now, now everything's on the table. Absolutely, everything's on the table. And I also read, you know, not only are the Nets maybe willing to move KD and Kyrie, 
but they basically said, Hey, our whole roster is on the table. Like we're just open for business. Like come take it, come grab it. A sneaky good guy for a team that is like maybe a step away from contending is like, go get Seth Curry, go get Joe Harris, a guy like that. Maybe you add a guy like that to a roster, like, like Milwaukee, for example, maybe they make a deal for one of the other guys on the Brooklyn team, not Katie and Kyrie. Maybe one of the other guys gets dealt to them as a result of a trade. Maybe that pushes them back up over the hill, that, that kind of a deal. So, And there's one team we haven't talked about that has a bunch of money and that's Portland and they've, they've got the money. I don't really think they have a lot of assets that they could trade, but people seem to love Dame and KD, I think likes Dame. So would there be enough of attraction for KD to want to come play with Lillard out here? Seems like a weird fit to me. I don't know that Portland is, would be his kind of place to be, but for the opportunity to play with Lillard, play for Chauncey Billups, I have no idea what the relationship is like there, but it seems to be most players seem to respect Chauncey Billups and truly really build this thing up and, you know, Lillard's in his prime, Durant's in his prime. They both only have so many years left. That could be one to look at. And I have a I have a trade proposition for you from another team. Mm, let's hear it. Okay. You, you pick up the phone. It's the Los Angeles Clippers on the phone. They're offering Norman Powell, Robert Covington, a couple draft picks, and your choice of Paul George or Kawhi. My choice of Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Because I've I'll heard, take, I'll take Kawhi. I've heard the Clippers bounced around, but there's no way they have the money to do it unless they move PG or Kawhi. Yeah, I'll take a, I'll take Kawhi if I have to pick. Now, how does a how does a Clippers led by either Kawhi and Durant or Paul George and Durant uh, Durant's do in the West? I think Kawhi and Durant does better, but obviously, if I'm the Nets, I'm at least starting the conversation with Kawhi there. And if I have to take Paul George, I guess I will, but toss me another first round pick for me to do it. It's, I've heard talk. There's a lot of buzz around the Clippers, whether with this incarnation or if they're somehow able to get Durant, that you look at the West. If the Suns lose Aiden, we can get to that in a minute. If the Suns lose Aiden, the Jazz are blowing it up. The Lakers are, who knows what shape the Lakers are in. The Blazers are bad. The Nuggets never quite seem to get over the hump. The Clippers may be the best team in the West, you know, depending on how all this shakes out next year. If if the Suns are down, the Jazz are down, the Blazers are down, maybe it's the Mavericks are in there too, depending on what they add to Luka. But, well, yeah, um, they lost Brunson, right, who right. was kind of functioned as their sort of their second guy for their playoff run. And you also think about, yeah. Yeah. Keep running it down. Go ahead. Well, I'm just, I think that was it. You kind of look at the West, like who is better than, well, I mean, Golden State kind of forgot about them mixed in there. Oh, oh just the NBA yeah, champions. Just, yeah, but, I mean, kinda... the, the, the Pelicans never quite seem to get there. The Timberwolves never get there. Uh, you, Sacramento and San Antonio are rebuilding. Maybe it's Memphis, but the West feels very wide open for the Clippers to I, I kind of hadn't thought about it until somebody brought it up. They're like, look at the West. Other than Golden State, who's better than the Clippers right now? It's like, oh, it's a good point. Unless, unless the Suns can run it back or the Nuggets make some big deals, which they've been offloading talent more than they've been adding it the last couple of days. Yeah, or what does a team like Minnesota do? Because I think they're 
definitely um, interested in moving D'Angelo Russell. I'm not sure who's interested in acquiring D'Angelo Russell. That's another story. But they're definitely interested in upgrading at that spot um, by getting rid of D'Angelo Russell. And I don't know if we get like a Towns trade, but maybe. Hmm. Who knows if we get a Towns trade this offseason. Um, I floated it on the podcast a while back. I said, Towns for Gobert. Let's let's do it. Let's do this thing. Um, I don't think that's actually going to happen. But anyways. And just uh, completely abandon cool. Towns in the rebuilding jazz. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, rebuild the team around Anthony Edwards, right? Yeah. Build that team around Anthony Edwards. I think we're in agreement on that. Yes. So, anyways, stay glued to Twitter this summer, um, this weekend, sports fans, because there's bound to be a lot of drama, I think. If Durant ends up with the Lakers, he and LeBron together, NBA Twitter is going to explode. And that's exactly why I'm hoping that that happens because I really just want to see NBA Twitter explode. I just want to see, I just want to see KD and LeBron together on the same team with Kawhi and Paul George in the same city. Right. Um, and then you've got Tatum Brown as well. You've got the Bucks. You've got the Suns still, the Warriors, obviously. With you know Steph and and Clay and Dre and Wiggins and so let's it, it gets really interesting. Anyways, we can I, pivot. Let's say I promise we'll talk about something that's not Kevin Durant here in a minute. But so let's let's say this deal happens. You're saying Westbrook, AD, and Talon Horton Tucker all have to go to the Nets to get Durant back. I would say that's probably the minimum of what the Nets would demand to even. And I, I think that's to get Katie and Kyrie, actually. Okay. What if it, for just, for just KD, do you have to give up Russ and THT? At least, at least. Uh, I don't even know if they would want. Hmm. Yeah. See, that's the thing is the Lakers don't really have the assets to pull this off. Well, let's. Um, Let's let's shoot for the moon here. Let's let's say that to to make it happen, the Nets say give us Russ, Anthony Davis, Talon Horton Tucker. And based on what they currently have, that leaves the Lakers with so you'd have LeBron and Kevin Durant. You would have Kendrick Nunn as one of your guards. Oh baby. Malik Monk, maybe. No, so Malik Monk just signed with Sacramento. Nope, he's out. Why would you sign with Sacramento willingly? Um so you'd have you'd have LeBron, KD, Kendrick Nunn, Stanley Johnson, and when you and let's go Austin Reeves because he had he was fun. Is that starting five beating the Warriors? Uh, I'm not sure about that. There would obviously be work to do with uh, rounding out the rotation with minimum contract players obviously you'd have to um, and they have and depending on which website you look at some of them show who's currently under contract some of them show the depth chart so you've got lebron's band of the expendables you know dwight howard and carmelo and wayne ellington and avery bradley and those guys that kind of float around him to give depth yeah yeah you're gonna have to fill out the roster with those kinds of types and i'm not sure what there is out there for those kinds of types but yeah there'd be 
And maybe they'd get more than um, Katie and Kyrie. Maybe they'd get some other sort of player back, like like a Patty Mills or something in the trade too. So who knows? But we can uh, we can pivot. I know we don't have a, a lot of time left, but we can pivot and talk about another massive topic. We might have to. We might have to run over tonight just because of how much there is. Hey, we, have, we have all the time in the world. So just, um, all right. So we'll do, we'll do some rapid fire here on free agency before we get to the other big topic. Uh, okay. Top guy, Zach Levine will end up back with Chicago re-signing on a big deal. Makes sense. We already know Bradley. He must love the wizards or DC or something to, I mean, yes, $50 uh, million dollars a year is nice, but man. Nah, he, he loves money. Yeah. He loves that? money. I just so <laughs> James Hart. I think Harden resigns with the Sixers. That was his whole master plan. I thought the entire time was to get back with Daryl yeah. Morey, and he just manipulated everybody along the way to make it happen. Well, no, and I think Harden resigns with the Sixers, but at a lower, at a significantly less lesser amount than what he was going to make if he opted in to that forty-seven million. Mm. I don't think James Harden's getting a big supermax deal. No, I, I think the way that this is going down is Harden's going to take less money so that the team can build out a better roster. They already signed PJ Tucker, I believe. So that's a good move for the Sixers is to grow grab PJ Tucker. Um, and then maybe they make a deal for Kevin Durant and Harden can be back with Kevin Durant and Embiid. Now that's a team. Ooh. That's a lot of money. It is. And a lot of the other big guys have re-signed. Uh, Bobby Portis, Anthony Simons, Tyus Jones. Uh, Victor Oladipo's hanging around there. The big one you mentioned, Jalen Brunson signing a big deal to go from the Mavericks to the Knicks. Uh, I actually saw um, Oladipo signed back with Miami. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of forget he's still running around out there. There's a lot of those kind of guys in this class. I think the Warriors are in an interesting position. They could lose Gary Payton the second, Kavon Looney, a couple of guys floating out there for them. But there's two names here at the top. Otto Porter. Yeah, Otto, go ahead. Yeah. All, all those depth guys that the Warriors need behind the big three year. Be a lot of talk about a luxury tax, Bill. Right, exactly. So there's two guys. One of them may now be untouchable, depending on what happens. Miles Bridges with the Hornets, some off-the-court legal troubles here in the last 24 hours. We'll see what happens with him. He was going to be one of the top 10 players in this class for sure. And I would say the last big one we haven't touched on, just mentioned him in passing, is DeAndre Ayton. He sounds like he's – I don't know if somebody's going to give him a max deal, but it sounds like he's basically out of the Suns. To me, it's the Bulls, the Knicks, or maybe the Blazers. Those would be my top three for him. I don't know what the money looks like for those teams now, especially with the Knicks paying Jalen Brunson, but where do you see Mr. Ayton ending up? I I don't know where he's going to end up, but I I believe that he's a real sign-and-trade candidate. I think he, you know, signs a contract with the Suns and then is immediately traded somewhere. And I don't know for who or for what, but I think he's a sign and trade candidate. So he'll he'll definitely not be in Phoenix next year. It's just a matter of where does he end up. And I think that's more of one where Phoenix looks like, hey, we're still in contention. We need to get contending pieces back. So he's one where I see the if it is a sign and trade situation like that, they would want to send him out East and get him away, which is why I think the bulls are the Knicks. If he's just unrestricted and can go wherever he wants, then I think Portland factors in more because they've got the money to pay for him and they need a big, 
Yeah, I think I think an eight and sign and trade as part of the Kevin Durant deal Ooh. is real possibility. Like I just mentioned, like an Aiden Mikhail Bridges and some firsts for Kevin Durant sounds like a real possibility. Bleacher Report is like their trade idea is basically that. Aiden Mikhail Bridges, three future first round picks and two swaps for Kevin Durant. Straight up. So I have no I just know they're both strong personalities who see the world in very distinct ways, but is Chris Paul and Kevin Durant, is that a They've been around the league forever together. Is that a friend or a foe or a, we can play nice for the sake of winning kind of thing? I don't know where those two stand with each other. I don't think they're like best buds. I think it'd be more of a, yeah, we'll do this for the sake of winning. Um, we, I mean, Chris Paul, I think, would be all on board because he'd be like, oh, here we go. I got Booker and KD and I just need to step up every once in a while and I'm going to have a real chance at a championship if all three of us are healthy. It will be pandemonium. Stay tuned, especially this weekend. I feel like this weekend we're going to have a lot of the dust settled. There's going to be bodies everywhere in the NBA. Yeah. NBA always takes over July 4th weekend every year now because of the way free agency works and when it opens. That's good for him. Great. We need something to fill the sports void. Sports void. We're kind of in that gap period right now where the only actual action is baseball and the uh the football gods just can't resist giving us something so before we get out of here and you are way more in tune on this than i am you i didn't know this was a thing until you told me about it earlier and then i've been researching today what is happening in college football we just completely blew up the conference system well college uh i mean college football is obviously the biggest impact with uh usc and ucla moving to the big 10 now officially in 2024 um, but it's going to impact other sports too, obviously. So the move is, you know, sports and academics as well, but I think it's mostly financially motivated. And what we're really looking at here with USC and UCLA making this kind of a move is the dominoes are kind of starting to fall where we're going to end up in like a power two. So we've heard the power five thrown out there, right? And that's kind of been the thing is the power five, the group of five. Well, now the landscape is kind of shifting to where it's the SEC and the big 10 is kind of this power too. Uh, you look at like the revenue from like USC and UCLA and then the teams that are already in the big 10, like the Ohio States, the Michigan, the Penn States, the Nebraskas, the Wisconsin's, Iowa's, Michigan State. Big Ten has a lot of brands. Obviously, the SEC does. Georgia, Alabama, Florida, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas. They have a ton of big brands as well. Um, now the, the question becomes, so the SEC really kicked this all off by nabbing OU and Texas. Two big brands, which whatever you think about Texas football, they still make a crap ton of money, um, even if they aren't good at football on the actual field. They still make a crap ton of money, and so does OU. They're two of the biggest revenue-generating programs. So the biggest revenue-generating programs out there from a football perspective that are still out there are Oregon and Notre Dame. It's long been rumored that Notre Dame 
maybe joins the Big Ten. What does Oregon do now? Because they're kind of on an island now with the teams that are remaining in the now Pac-10, I guess. Was called the Pac-12, but now it's Pac-10 with USC and UCLA leaving. Does Oregon say, oh, screw this. We don't want to be the only team that's keeping this conference afloat. Uh, Let's go to the Big Ten along with our USC and UCLA brethren. And does maybe like a Washington tag along or a Colorado or Utah or a Cal or a Stanford? Does the Big Ten just take a bunch of West teams and expand out West like that? Or do they get like Oregon and Notre Dame, which I think would be the biggest coup because those are the two biggest brands that are still out there that aren't in the SEC yet. I've heard it floated out there that maybe the Big Ten moves to 24 schools where they get you know, Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Colorado, and then they separate out into like six pods and then, or four pods of six. And then they have a championship weekend where it's the top four in the big 10 squaring off against each other, like pre playoffs and stuff. So it's interesting, but really what this boils down to as well as TV um, you think about the SEC schools, they have all the TV deals with ESPN down there in the South. OU in Texas as well included massive TV deals with ESPN as part of the Big 12, but now the SEC. Well, the Big 10 has a huge deal with Fox. So does the Pac-12, USC and UCLA. So it's really kind of becoming like a ESPN conference versus a Fox conference. Um, in a way, Fox slash FS1 slash whatever. So it's all financial driven. And yeah, I really think you're on the verge of like a power two. And so now the big 12 schools, the leftover big 12 schools and the leftover Pac-12, now Pac-10 schools and the new big 12 schools that are coming in from the American conference, the Cincinnati, the Houston, UCF, have a decision to make. Are we going to stay the same or possibly start talking about a merger with the PAC 12 schools that are remaining? I think that's probably the, their best bet to kind of stay relevant because if not, I think a lot of those schools are going to unfortunately kind of get left behind and left out of the power too. And that's kind of what I, thought we were going to end up with is more of a four. I thought we would get a four conference super whatever and whether or not they stay part of the NCAA or break off to become their own thing. Two sounds bold, but not improbable the way things are going. I remember when the Big Ten expanded and got Rutgers and, oh my gosh, what's all these schools going to have to go all the way from Iowa and Minnesota to Rutgers and Maryland and now you're going to have to travel. This is one thing I wonder, will it impact recruiting or will the kids even care of how many times per year are you going to fly from Michigan to Southern California or worse, vice versa? How many times are you going to fly from LA to Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan to play basketball games in the season and that type of stuff. Granted the stodgy nostalgic traditionalist in me wonders what this does to the Rose bowl and stuff like that. That's what I think about is what's going to happen to those kind of traditions. But you know, when people say, Oh, there's this and that reason, this is money. This is mostly football television related money. I, unless it was a package deal where they said you had to take UCLA as well, like one would not go with the other. I don't, I don't get the appeal of UCLA unless it's because it's that LA market. 
I would have thought maybe a USC in Oregon, a USC in Washington, a USC in Stanford, because USC, you get the Southern California market, but why not also get the Bay Area or Seattle or the entire state of Oregon to go with you instead of double dipping in Los Angeles? And that's why there's rumors out there already that says, well, the Big Ten's not done with this. Um, I think USC and UCLA are just the first two. And I, I agree I can have the entirety of the LA market covered USC football, huge UCLA basketball, huge. So yeah, UCLA football may be not the biggest thing out there going. They've had some decent years here and there, whatever, but UCLA men's basketball, absolutely huge. So uh, big from that aspect. And then Oregon really big because you're getting into that Portland area. Stanford, you know, you're getting around that Bay Area then with Stanford and then Washington, the Seattle area. But what this does with getting USC and UCLA is now you've got Big Ten schools in all of the four time zones, mm. which is uh, very interesting. Um, and, yeah, it is all money-driven and financial-driven and – I think the Big Ten's not done. I also think the SEC is not done, and they're going to target some of the ACC schools, teams like Florida State, Miami, Clemson would be a natural fit there, but being Southern as well, like a North Carolina as well. So um, I think the end game is 24 SEC schools, 24 Big Ten schools, and um, there's going to be quite a few Big 12 and Pac-12 schools that are going to get left out of that. And that's and it's surprising the ACC has hung on as long as it has and that they haven't been poached more by now. But it does feel like an arms race. And I, I still think it's at some point it may be two eventually, but I think there has to be like that step down to four. So I think you're on the right track that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 need to look at each other and like, hey, we need to band together. It's the ACC is weird. It feels like you could just split the ACC in half, half go to the SEC, half go to the Big Ten. But then you've got all these schools out west and in the Midwest where you think, hey, we need to unite a little bit here. And I think that'd be fun. Get some Oklahoma State and Kansas State and West Virginia playing Washington and Oregon and Stanford. Yeah, it'd be well. I really – I hate to burst your bubble on that, but I really think Oregon's ending up in the Big Ten. Just from everything I've heard, I think Oregon and Notre Dame to the Big Ten is kind of a – seems like it's going to be a thing. Um, so I don't know where that leaves the rest of those schools because I really think maybe like in Oregon and Stanford or Oregon and Washington are coming to the Big Ten – as well as like a Notre Dame and somebody else. I I don't know who it is or how they're going to get to 24. Maybe they reach out to the East coast and grab like a, maybe the big 10 can get a school like North Carolina or Georgia tech is like a really smart fit academically. Apparently the big 10 cares about those things marginally. Um, So Pittsburgh would maybe be a natural fit with like Penn state Pittsburgh, kind of a rivalry type thing. So I think the big 10 gets to 24 that way by getting 
maybe like an Oregon, Stanford, a Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, and then like a Clemson, Florida State, Miami to the SEC, maybe a few others, like a Louisville would make sense. So I I really don't know. Um, But you got to say Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said it wrong. So um, that's going to be really, really, it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out, but I don't think it's done. I don't think we're at the final destination of what conference realignment means. So, um, and then, you know, at that point, once kind of like a power two is established, what do you, what do the Big Ten and the SEC need the NCAA for at that point? Do they need them? Not really. Uh, because at that point, pretty much the playoffs will be teams from those conferences. Uh, that That's going to be who's going to be in the playoffs if it remains at four teams. It's going to be the SEC teams, the Big Ten teams with the newly formed Big Ten. Um who outside of that is going to even get even going to sniff a shot. Um, I don't, I don't really see it. Um, So, and I think it is going to help recruiting for some of these Midwest schools who don't have a lot of exposure on the West coast, like, um, well, Ohio state's pretty national, but like, like in Iowa, for example, right. They're going to go out to LA and play in LA and people are going to see the Iowa brand out in LA and they're going to start to get their footprint out there. And like Wisconsin as well, like they don't usually travel out West for games. And then the other thing about this too, is like, are we going to expand the conference football season to maybe get some more of these matchups on an annual basis? Because if we keep it at 12 games and we're only playing nine conference games in the big 10 and we end up with 24 teams, how does that work out do we expand to 14 games or even 16 games do we keep it at 12 and go to 10 conference games get rid of another non-conference week what's what's the need for non-conference weeks maybe we have one non-conference week which is like a tune-up game against some low-level fbs team right and then you jump right into conference play immediately so if that happens and let's say Iowa State's not a part of either one of these conferences, the Seahawk game could very well go by the wayside. Um, I, I'm not saying that because that's what I want to have happen, but you think about things like that and that could happen more on a more large scale just because of the expansion. Is If there is an expansion of the schedule too, to match, some of these games will kind of get tossed by the wayside. And that's what I hate to see. It's going to get crazier and bigger before it quiets down, but I'm a sucker for pomp and circumstance and pageantry and tradition. So you hate to see all those things go by the wayside, but it's hard to stop the money train once it gets rolling. Yeah. The money train is rolling. So I just wanted to throw that out there, but, um, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting times um, for the college sports landscape with all the changes that are going on and sure to come. A couple more quick hitters before we get out of here. 
congratulations to the uh, Colorado Avalanche. You heard us talking about them on the show, made our picks a couple months ago. On the show, we told you the Avalanche were going to beat the Lightning, so uh, you're welcome. Very, very fun postseason for the NHL and the Stanley Cup. It's a great series. Avs winning in six. Do not be shocked to see these two teams back. The Lightning were going for the three-peat, and I think they'll be right back. I think they've got that Golden State Warrior magic to them where I think they're going to keep most of these guys under contract for several more years, and the Avs are just getting going. A lot of young talent there, so watch for these two to kind of be like the what the Penguins and the Blackhawks were a couple of years ago. So congrats to both teams and the Avalanche for hoisting the cup. A huge UFC card this weekend, UFC 276. They always do 4th of July weekend. Wonderful card. Uh, top to bottom here, Israel Adesanya going to defend the middleweight crown against Jared Cannonier. Give me Adesanya to win that one. Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway in the trilogy, basically to find out who's the greatest featherweight of all time. Volkanovsky is the champion. Give me Holloway, the GOAT, to upset him and stun him here. Uh, going down the rest of the card, a lot of great names. Sean Strickland. Uh, give me him. Brian Barberina, as much as I like Robbie Lawler, an Iowa-trained guy, give me Barberina to take down Lawler. Sugar Sean O'Malley, if you haven't fallen in love with a fighter yet, go watch some Sean O'Malley. He's got your fireworks and your excitement, so perfect guy for Fourth of July weekend. Uh, going a little bit further down, you've got Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone in the ageless wonder fight of two guys who have been around forever. Give me Jim Miller in that one. Then in your prelims, Uriah Hall and Jessica I. So the picks... At least for me again, Israel Adesanya, Max Holloway, Sean Strickland, Brian Barberina, Sean O'Malley, Jim Miller, Uriah Hall, and Jessica I. And UFC 276 Saturday night from Las Vegas. Wow. I am stoked. Kind of wish I had maybe thought about planning a trip to Vegas for UFC 276, honestly. Um, I'm going to be posted up at the Ankeny Buffalo Wild Wings because – what other place can I go to to see the UFC fights in Des Moines? There really is nowhere else, honestly. Um, it's kind of sad. problem for several years in that city, trying to find a place to watch these. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to the Ankeny Buffalo wild wings and my friend and I are going to camp out for probably six hours at a Buffalo wild wings. So pray for me. Um, <laughs> but also I'm really, I'm really stoked because I think it's a absolutely stacked card. You talked about, um, Sugar Sean O'Malley, I've got him to win. I like Volkanovski. I know you just took Holloway, but I think uh, Volkanovski should have won on the last go around, and so Volkanovski sh- is going to take it this time um, in the third. And then can't go against Stylebender. Um, <laughs> I think Adesanya is just too good. I think he's the best at his weight class right now, um, and there's not really anybody on his level, so. I'm going to go ahead and uh, take those three. I know real exciting with some chalk picks there, but I'm going to take those three. Yeah. Adesanya is kind of just cleaning out the division right now. I really like Jared Cannonier. He's got a great story. If you ever uh, take a minute to look him up sometime, just kind of his life story and how he built himself up to where he is. So a very likable fighter, but, and a cool name, Jared Cannonier just sounds awesome. But Adesanya is on a roll. I think he's, he's cleaning out the division. I think, just just give me Adesanya and Usman one of these days. I think that's where we're headed if Usman's willing to bump up and wait that Adesanya's on a mission. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned Adesanya Usman. Please give me Adesanya Usman. I think I would 
man, I would, I would die for that kind of a fight. I think that'd be an absolutely incredible fight. So UFC, you want to do super fights. There's your super fight. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, a, a nice long meaty show, a lot to get to this week. And thank you all for joining us. Happy summer. It feels like summer's finally kicked off in all parts of the country. For some of us, it was a long time coming, but happy summertime. Happy 4th of July. Have a safe, happy 4th of July weekend and enjoy the holiday, everybody. 